Rejoice and be glad. I want to read to you from Psalm 103. It's good to be home. We had a lot of good success out there. You're going to see some seven or eight minute clips uh, coming up on our YouTube channel pretty soon from uh, different locations. We found a new location and it uh, looks like Prescott to me, Arizona, but we got some Arizona folks. It's Prescott, right? Yeah, leave the O off, I guess. But uh, anyway, we found a nice lake out there. You'll see some good clips. Uh, we use these two-minute clips, eight-minute clips to uh, try and attract unbelievers or prodigals, you know, that'll go to our channel and see a 45-minute sermon, which they should listen to. <laughs> but a lot of times folks won't give you that much time, so we're trying to get the hook. Anybody know how to fish? You just get that bait out there and set the hook. So we're trying to set the hook on some lost people with some of these videos and get their interest stirred up in Jesus because He's the only way out of here. Tell your neighbors, say, Jesus is the only way out of here. Amen. <laughs> bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now that's what happens to us. We get in a little circumstance and we forget what all God's about. You remember me, I've taught you this. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says where the serpent came in on Eve, it said, she said, he deceived me or beguiled me, I think is one, how the old King James says it. The Hebrew word means he caused me to forget. He made me to forget. And that, that's how temptation works, right? That's how the devil gets us sidetracked. We just forget for a moment the goodness of God and the judgment and all that. So let's not forget, amen? Do not forget all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things? Here's a good one for everybody over 50. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen, that's a good word. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever, nor has He dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Tell your neighbor, say, you didn't get what you deserve. You didn't get what you deserve. <laughs> For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. What a word. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise this morning. He's worthy. Good to be home. We'll have some stuff for you coming up on the YouTube channel uh, shortly from the trip. we got a lot of good supplies and uh, monetary gifts out there to those folks in Arizona on the children's home on the Navajo Reservation as well. Had a good trip. Uh, my wife and I were able to stop on the way back through and have uh, dinner with my surgeon, the lady who did open heart surgery on me last year, actually a year ago this past week. And uh, it was our turn to give back to them. So uh, the Lord uh, give us an opportunity to speak into their lives some situations they're dealing with. So uh, we're just thankful for all that God's done. And we're here today to uh, share God's Word with you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to St. John chapter 14. We'll talk to you about St. John chapter 14. As you turn there... Let me say this to you. There are a lot of folks in our world, I'd say the majority of them, a lot of times it's even people inside the church that they're looking for comfort in the wrong things. Comfort in the wrong things. I'm going to share some scripture with you. They're looking for that comfort in the wrong things. Show my board there, please, real quick. We'll get this comfort in the wrong things. Now you think about that. People look for that in drugs, alcohol, wrong relationships, their job, their retirement, all kinds of things they're looking for comfort in and the wrong things. We're supposed to get our comfort from the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. In fact, one of the titles for the Holy Spirit is comforter, right? And we're going to look at that this morning in John chapter 14. So a lot of folks are getting comforted 
or trying or attempting to get comforted with the wrong things. And so we'll challenge that this morning, give you some good news about how that can work out in our lives. So let's look at John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So that's one of the greatest challenges we're going to face as we live in these last days is our hearts not be in trouble, right? When you see all the trouble that's going on, we just, a war just started yesterday or in the last few hours with Israel and, and uh, the terrorists. Uh, basically, it's Islam and, and Judaism at war again over there, Ishmael and Isaac. That's been going on a long time, and so that's kicked its heels back up. We know that all those are parts of the end of time, but how do we live in a world like that? How do you live in a world where gas prices are too high and food's too high and the world's in trouble and, and chaos is going on and wars are breaking out and diseases and, and all the things that go on? How can you keep your heart from being troubled? I think the key is where you get your comfort from. That's how you can keep your heart from being troubled. It's where you get your comfort from. And as we get our comfort from God slash Jesus slash the Holy Spirit slash the Word. So the Word is, as we get our comfort from the Word, we're also, that's one and the same of getting it from God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, and also in me. Jesus is making his case as being one with God. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's probably rooms there. Be a better way to say that. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So that's one of the places we get our comfort right? Is that this world is not the end for us, right? This is not our final place, our final destination. In fact, um, this world, we're just passing through, the Bible says. If we would keep that attitude, it would help us a lot. If you understand that you and I understand that we're just passing through, and I think Paul says it best, or the Holy Spirit in Hebrews, that this world is not our home, we're just passing through here. And that, that'll keep us from getting caught up in the wrong things. It'll keep us from trying to get our comfort from this world. Because this world is passing away, right? Your body, the tent you're using while you're here, is decaying over time. So if you're putting your hope in the fact that you're going to live forever in this life, that's the wrong thing, right? If you're putting your hope in the things of this life, that's the wrong thing. You're not going to take much comfort from that, right? Because how many of you have seen that things wear out, right? Things you had hoped to keep longer, they wear out. Your body gives way over time. You can't do the same things you used to could do. So if we're trying to get our comfort from now, from this life now, we're going to be discouraged. And so he says, you're just passing through. Tell your neighbor, say, you're just passing through. So he's gone to make a place for us. That should be some comfort for us, right? That this is not the end for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am. So he's not just saying, I'm going to go fix a place for you guys. You guys can get over there at some point and be fine. He said, I'm going to come back and get you. There's some comfort, right? That you're not stuck here. That you're not, the grave is not the end for you and I. If we die before the Lord comes, if he, the rapture doesn't take place before you and I pass away, then we have this comfort, right? We can comfort, right? And how many times did Paul say, comfort one another with these words? And he was talking about resurrection. He was talking about the second coming. He was talking about the rapture. That our hope is not in this life or the things of this life. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and all that he's taught us and all the things that he's prepared for us as he talks about this. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know. So he's speaking to guys as he's giving them spiritual instruction about their journey. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now I'm going to make some statements, some of them you've heard me say before, but I'm going to put a stake in the ground here. There are people in the church world now that would say things like this, it's pretty common now, that they would say, I love Jesus, but I don't believe certain things in the Bible. I love Jesus, but I don't believe what Paul taught in Romans chapter 1. I love Jesus, but I don't believe Genesis 1 through 10. 
I love Jesus, but I don't believe. And they could go into the Word over and over and say they love Jesus, but, the, but the, you can't do that. You can't have Jesus and reject His Word. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 of this same book we're in that Jesus and the Word are one and the same. The Bible says that the Word came down and, down and dwelt among us. The Bible says in one of His epistles that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. So Jesus and the Word are one and the same. So if you reject Genesis 1 through 10 as being God's Word, then you are rejecting Jesus. I said it. If you reject Genesis 1 through 10, or if you reject Romans chapter 1, or if you reject the book of Revelation, or whatever book you want to pick out, you're rejecting Jesus because they are one and the same. And let me give you a statement that Jesus made while he was here on earth. Lazarus, or the rich man said, go send Lazarus back to my brothers that, uh, and tell them they don't need to come where I'm at. Remember that? And Jesus said, they have the law and the prophets. If they don't believe, he mentioned Moses there, if they don't believe what they said, he said, neither will they believe one, though he comes back from the dead. Now, do you realize what Jesus did when he said that? Because the New Testament wasn't written at that point. When Jesus spoke that, he confirmed everything from Genesis through Malachi. He, said, he, he, he didn't say they have some of the word, skip what Moses taught in Genesis, that's really not real. What he did is he confirmed the Old Testament right there as being God's word. He confirmed it all from Genesis through the book of Malachi. And so he said to them, he said, if they're not going to believe the word, right, and there's where a lot of folks are at. And a lot of folks, and we send, we send our children. And we ought to be careful, I guess, where we send them to. But we send our children to schools and things. And a lot of them lose their faith, if you want to say it that way. They come back thinking, we came from a monkey. Now, I know sometimes the way people act, it may look like that. <laughs> somebody said, preach it. They know somebody like that. <laughs> so, here's the thing. We, 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 Jesus confirmed Genesis through Malachi. I don't care what your professor said. I don't care if he's got a degree from Harvard. Until he rises from the dead, then we might take a listen to what he's got to say. But until somebody else rises from the dead, I'm sticking one with the one that rose from the dead. He knows he was here before the world was ever formed. He was there helping create it. Surely he knew what was going on. Surely he knows that God's Word is true. He's a product of God's Word. He is the Word made flesh. So Jesus said, it doesn't matter if we send one from the dead if they don't believe what God's Word teaches. And do you know that's true? Here we sit in a world. Now listen. Here we sit in a world with one that has risen from the dead. His name's Yeshua. We call Him Jesus. He has risen from the dead. And the critics will say, well, that's just what your Bible says. Oh, no. The Romans and the Jews both testified and the Bible let everything be established in the mouth of two or three women that Jesus come out of that grave. And if you'll read in your Bible, you'll find out that the Jews knew he come out of that grave. That's why they were trying to pay people off to lie about it. So there's no question that Jesus came out of that grave. The historical values there, it's not just your Bible that teaches that. So the one that come out of the grave verified everything from Genesis through Malachi, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit has verified everything from Matthew through the book of Revelation along with Jesus. So here we sit with people trying to discredit who Jesus is, and he's the only one that's been raised to eternal life. He should have the last say in everything in our lives. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Now listen to what else he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm already in trouble, so I might as well get in it. I done got a letter this week from somewhere getting on to me, so I might as well just lay it on out. There ain't no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You can't go through Buddha. You can't go through Mohammed. You can't go through Confucius. You can't go through your grandmother. You can't go through a preacher. You can't go through a priest. The only way you can get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name whereby men might be saved. We ought to give him praise. He's the only way. That's the only way out of here. So I'm not backing away from that. I'm not compromising with you on that. You can just keep sending your letters. 
Because that is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. There's a difference between truth and facts. Facts can change, right? The fact is, last week, you woke up and it was warm in the morning, and you woke up this morning and it was cool. Those things change. The, the, what's that Guinness Book of World Records? People get new entries all the time because those facts change, right? One dude eat 130 hot dogs, and next year another guy eat 131. They had to change that fact. But truth is inalterable because truth is a person. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Word of God is manifested in Him. He is the Word of God made flesh. So there's no altering of the truth. That's why it's set apart from facts even. The truth cannot be changed. And the truth is that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. That's the truth. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, they're having questions, right? Like we do. Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? Not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, there's, a, there's another passage where Jesus talks about they're talking about how good he is. And this passage has been mistranslated so many times and been caused theological problems that it shouldn't have caused. Jesus said there's none good except for the Father. Now, when you look at that passage, some people have distorted that really bad, but they're saying, well, even Jesus himself was saying he wasn't good. Listen, Jesus was perfect. You're good if you're perfect. That wasn't the struggle. He knew the struggle the people were having. What they, they, were wanted, they were okay with calling him a good prophet. They were okay with calling him a good teacher, rabbi. But where they drew the line is when he claimed to be part of God. And that was what they were struggling with. They were struggling with the fact that Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And so basically he, he answers that here. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words... They can't just run around saying, you're a good teacher or you're a good prophet. They got to recognize he wasn't saying he wasn't good because he was perfect. What he was saying to them is, if you're going to recognize me as good, then you got to recognize me as God. And that's where they struggled. They struggled. Now, we don't struggle with that mentally. Most of the world, we're getting there. The world's get, getting less and less churched, even in America. People are not growing up hearing about Jesus. They're growing up on MTV and stuff like that. And that's probably outdated too. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I remember when I was in high school when MTV came out. And uh, so that's been a couple of years. But whatever they're being raised on, media, social media, whatever, they're being raised with other people's ideas. And that's why... And this is an old statistic. That's why the, uh, the statistic I read probably eight years ago was 4% of 12-year-olds in America have a biblical worldview. Now you think about that. That means 96%, and that's probably went down. That means 96% of 12-year-olds of in America looked at the world through a different lens than God's Word. 96. Now where do you think our country is going to wind up? Look where we're headed already. 96% of 12-year-olds of see the world from a different set of lenses other than God's Word. And so he says, if you're going to recognize me as good, you've got to recognize me as God. Now here's where we struggle. We still struggle with this. Let me go back to my uh, board here for just a second. We still struggle with this thing right here. Lord... We love having a Savior. We love having a healer. But how about a Lord? How about somebody who's in charge of your life all the way? We don't really need that preacher because, yeah, you did a really good job before you found him, right? How about a Lord that's in charge of your decisions? How about a Lord that's in charge of your checkbook? How about a Lord that's in charge of everything in your life? 
See, that's what we're talking about. That's where the church still tr struggles. And let, let me show you something here, and then you'll get some preaching on this uh, probably sooner than later. <clears throat> but these are three offices in the Old Testament. The high priest, the prophet, and the king. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you will find men with both of those offices, but you will not find a man that holds all three of those offices. You have to come to the New Testament for that. That's Jesus. But in the Old Testament, you'll see Ezekiel. He's a high priest. He's a priest and a, I shouldn't have put high. It should just be priest. <clears throat> I'll just mark through that. Priest, prophet, and king. So Ezekiel's a priest and he's also a prophet, right? Then you see David, who's a king and he's also a prophet. But you will not find in the Old Testament a priest, prophet, and king. You won't find it. Because that was reserved for Jesus Christ. He is the only one that holds all three offices. Now if you'll notice how the church even, we love having a king. Right? Or excuse me. We love having a priest. And, a pro and we're okay with a prophet. Right? We love the priest because he heals all of our problems. We can take all our troubles to him. Hand them off to him. All that. Prophets we like most of the time. Unless they tell us something we don't want to hear. But the reason we don't have that people struggle with Jesus being Lord or the King is because the King tells them what to do. The King says you can't go over there. You can't do that. Now, what's, what has the church done? If you read the, the statistics in the world with their trouble, a lot of times those statistics are almost as bad in the church as they are out there. And I submit to you, this is why. Because we love the priest. We, we're okay with the prophet. But a king tells us what to do. He says, here's my commands. You need to follow. We don't like that. That's the nature of the flesh, right? That's why Adam and Eve fell into that mess. But let me tell you what the king does. He brings peace and safety. That's his job. When we don't submit to Jesus as king, we forfeit our peace and safety. Now, there's something that nobody can help you with. If you're not willing to obey, and I mean all the way. Let me just lay it out there. You obey him all the way. Obey him in everything. There's nobody that can lay hands on you, fast for you. Or do anything that will help you. If you're not willing to obey, there's nothing we can do to overcome that. I don't care if you get the hottest, shottest preacher in the world right now to lay hands on you and pray for you. If you're not willing to obey, it ain't going to help. There's no substitute for obedience. We're missing out. We're going to see that here in just a minute. We're missing out. And the king is the one that says, you're going to do it my way. And that's why we resist the king. So many times. So Jesus is the only one that holds that office. But he's our priest, our prophet, and our king. And so we should submit and surrender to all of that. He says, have I been with you so long you've not known me, Philip? He has seen me, seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe? And verse uh, 10 says, do you not believe that I am, the I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, when somebody comes to us, our intention should be to give them the Word of God, reinforce it with the Word of God. If you've ever sat down with me and I give you an opinion, you'll know it. I am very clear about that. This is something that I've discovered or this is what I think. But I, most of our time should be giving other people the Word of God, not our opinions. The Bible says we should speak as the oracles of God when we speak. I believe Peter's the one that says that. So our job as believers is to be comforted with God. We're going to look at this in a minute. And then comfort others with the same kind of comfort that we got from God. Now, see, that's the problem. So, some of, so many people are trying to get their comfort from things or other people instead of God. And that's going to be a failure in the end. I want to tell you something that happened to me, that trained me right off the bat. 
when I, when I got into ministry full time, I had somebody who was working with me. But when I took my first gig, I never heard from them again. And I was disappointed because I was, I was getting my brains beat out, I thought, right? I was 25 when I went into ministry full time. I left the coal mines making a lot of money for a 25-year-old boy and went to take a church for $90 a week. But I knew I was being called. Well, when I went... We grew in the first week or two, we grew from 26, you won't believe this, we grew from 26 to 12. <laughs> Everybody wasn't happy with having a new one. I, I thought I needed help, and, uh, but I couldn't find it. And I felt alone. And I went way deep in the mountains one day and got down in front of a tree, big old red oak. And I started just crying my eyes out. Wanted to know where God was at. I wanted to know why he allowed this, that, and other. And I was just going through my spiel there and uh, <clears throat> weeping. And the Lord stopped me. And he said to me that day, and I walked out of that mountain with such confidence after this. I left that tree because the Lord spoke to me and said, Matthew, I have allowed this so that you will look and lean on me and not men. When he said that, I got prophesied to when I was a junior, uh, freshman in college when I went to a converted Jews church, had a large church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was in the back, I was running from God. I was supposed to be preaching, and I, you all know, heard that part of my testimony probably. When I got called to preach when I was a junior in high school, I told the Lord, I didn't tell him I wouldn't preach. I wasn't that dumb. <laughs> I just said, I'll preach later. That didn't go over so hot. Because when I went to college, I broke my foot twice my freshman year, and I, that's the only thing that kept me from probably going to the NBA was that I'd broke my foot. <laughs> I need to repent. Please give me a moment. <laughs> so when I, when I was running from my call in the end of my freshman year, I, I had my second cast on. I, had, I played like three games my whole freshman year because I'd broke my foot in preseason. Then I got put in the game around Christmas and broke it again. Same spot. But I was running from God. And uh, I was out after curfew one night. And I didn't think it mattered. I had a cast on. Why do they care if I make curfew or not? Well, you're still part of the team. You still have rules, right? And I'm in town on foot and a cast hobbling around out after curfew, and one of the assistant coaches sees me. Or at least I thought he saw me. And I, I started dashing around, diving in bushes and everything, trying to, <laughs> trying to make my way back to the dorm because we were a pretty big deal. We were number one in the nation in basketball. And I, we had our own dorm. We got special treatment, and I was thankful for it. And I was trying to get back to the dorm on foot because I left my car at the dorm thinking... You know, they wouldn't check. Of course, they always checked. I don't know what I was thinking. I probably hid pillows and everything. And, <laughs> and so I, I was almost back to the dorm. He spotted me again. And so I was getting ready to roll underneath these big trees. Because I, I was a country boy. And I knew underneath those big pine trees would be a bunch of soft cones. And I could just lay there. I was tired. You try to lug a, a cast around the city running from somebody. <laughs> you know? And I, finally, I rolled underneath those pine trees in front of this large church. And I rolled underneath those pine trees. And who do you think was under there waiting on me? What? It wasn't my assistant coach. It was the Holy Spirit. And he broke me. And I began to weep like a baby because I knew I was running from God's calling. I didn't know how long I was going to put him off. <laughs> I just was trying to put him off.
And so when I got out, I went to the next morning, and I just went in and confessed. I went to the head coach. I said, listen, I was out after curfew. And he, he, said, he just started smiling. He already knew. And he said, uh, well, I can't run you. He looked at my cat. And he appreciated me coming confessing, and I forget what my punishment was. But it wasn't just a few weeks after that, I went to this church in Knoxville. You thought I'd forgotten that, didn't you? And I sat back on that back row contemplating where I was at with God. Felt like Jonah a little bit. And uh, then I, the, the preacher who was preaching st- at the end of the service having alcohol, he started pacing, and I knew the Holy Spirit had showed up. I asked him not to, but he come in anyhow. <laughs> and, it, and then he started pointing back there for me, and I was kind of avoiding him, you know, getting behind the next person. I already knew, you know, the Holy Spirit. So I went up front. And uh, he started speaking over me. And he told me everything I'd went through, which I just went through shoulder surgery, where they thought I had a cancer possibly, had a big growth on my shoulder. Went through all that. And God was just trying to get my attention and round me up, I guess, so to speak. And he prophesied things over me. He's no way he could have knew unless the Lord told him. And then he said something, a couple of things. He gave me a couple of cautions. And then he gave me a couple of encouraging things and one of the things he said and this is what I remembered walking out of that mountain that day the Lord took me back to this moment he said I want to give you a path to follow not another man's path but the path that I give you so when I was on that mountainside I heard the Lord say I thought I was being abandoned and God said to me I've allowed this so you can learn to lean on me And not men. Now since that time. God has used people in and out of my life. It's his call. Right? But it'll keep you from getting angry, frustrated, or disappointed at other people. If you realize who's in charge. So if things don't go your way. And you feel like somebody's let you down. Let me tell you a couple of things. Number one. They're not your comforter. Ask Job how that works. They're not your comforter. Number two, God wants you to get your comfort from Him. He wants you to lean on Him. Man, I feel that. That went from the top of my head. We have got too many folks. Even in the church, you're trying to get your comfort from other things or other people. God wants you to trust Him. He wants you to lean on Him. And I remember God's voice so clearly. That's what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to be comforted. And there's a reason for that. I'm trying to get through here. Help me out here, Lord. Help them to have fast ears so they can hear. He says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father me, and believes in me. Believe me for the sake of, of the works themselves. So Jesus is telling us who He is, what He's done, and for us to watch And believe because of what he does. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now that's a pretty open door there, isn't it? I mean, if we ever get a hold of that. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. Now this, that word helper in the old King James, it's the new King James, is comforter. Better definition is probably a helper. But comforter is part of the meaning of this, the Greek word paraclete. Parakletos is the word there. It's a verb there, right? So when we look at this, the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside. Now, let me give you the definition for this word paraclete, paracletos. There's different forms. It says it comes to the aid of, somebody to urge you on, basically to encourage you, to be given aid, to cheer up, to come alongside, to give you aid. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what He's here for. You and I need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest resource alongside of God's Word because the Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. So those are the two greatest resources we have available to us. Your life will change if you start making the Holy Spirit and the Word of God your go-to. 
several years ago, my wife had a women's conference. We had a lady come in, and she, said, she taught our women, and she made this statement. I'll never forget it. She said, it was life-changing. She said, when I quit looking to my husband to be Jesus, because he can never be Jesus, she said, my life changed. And so did his. She said, we started being helpmates to one another, and we both got our comfort from Jesus. It's a game changer. Because what happens is, you're going to need comfort along this journey, and you're going to find some situations and places where people can't give you that. Especially people who are not being comforted by the Lord Himself. So we're trying to, and our, these last few generations, they're trying to do that with all kinds of things. You know, you may run across, and I've done this, and, and people have basically quit telling me this, if they say, well, I've got 5,000 friends on Facebook. You don't have 5,000 friends. You don't. Quit lying to yourself. You do not have five. What's the old saying if you've got five people? Right? That you can really count on that will show up in any situation. You're a blessed person. Amen. You got those five. Now, in the church, it should be different. We're a family. But even outside in the world, they understand that you don't have 5,000 friends. But I'm going to tell you what you do have a friend that will stick closer than a brother. You do have a friend that'll be right there, even though you're far away from people you know and love. You, the Bible tells us that. We have a friend, been Jesus Christ, who is always available to us, and the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we, should, we should be winning. I, I really believe the Old Testament guys were looking at New Testament people thinking, boy, when they get here and the Holy Spirit falls on them, like we see is coming, those guys will really get the job done. Well, wouldn't they be disappointed in us? The church sometimes is on, is on as many volumes as the people out in the world. Isn't it true? Sad, but true. It's sad, but true when you read these statistics. Because we're trying to get our comfort in the wrong places. And the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Quit looking for people to take the place of the Lord. It's not possible. That's why this wife was sharing with our women several years ago. That's what changed their marriage. When they let Jesus be Jesus and the husband and the wife and they partnered up and loved one another, encouraged one another, but they got their comfort from the Lord. Amen. That's where we all have to be. I cannot be Jesus to you. And if, and if any priest or preacher is trying to be Jesus and take his place, you're a fraud. There's nobody that can be Jesus in our lives except for Jesus. Somebody give him praise. I want to go further, but let me take you to 2 Corinthians real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Let me show you something here. This is powerful stuff that just kind of come alive to me in the last couple of weeks. This paraclete, same word you're going to see here, the verb form. Uh, Paul, in, a, in verse 1 of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and the Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, with the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you, priests from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all, everybody say it with me, comfort. There's that word. Who comforts, paraclete, same word that's translated about the Holy Spirit. So he says, who comforts us in our tribulation. That's who will comfort you and I, is the Lord. He says that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You're not a good, uh, you're not a good counselor if you're not getting your stuff from God. You're not a good comforter if you're not getting your stuff from God. That, we're in the middle of the book of Job on Wednesday nights. That's why his, his guys who love him, they're miserable comforters because they're not getting any insight from God. They're not passing on anything from God. For as the sufferings of Christ, now listen closely, this is us. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, listen, it is for your consolation and salvation. Remember me saying this two weeks ago where the Bible says, we love quoting this verse, all things work together for the good of them. It doesn't say him. So in other words, sometimes, that's a plural. 
In other words, just like I brought up Joseph. Joseph suffered a lot. Why did he suffer a lot? Because it was for the good of all of Israel, right? When they got down there, Joseph was able to bring them into the land out of the famine, all that stuff. And he said that, right? He said, what you meant for harm, God went meant for good. He sent me before you guys to get down here in Egypt, right? And then all that. So you're going to go, are you mature enough to let God take you through some situations without getting bitter and discouraged on it. Can you keep getting your comfort from God? And be, Can we come out of that jail cell, beat half to death like those guys, and they came out rejoicing instead of saying, where's my lawyer? They came out rejoicing instead of saying, I should have got a phone call. They came out rejoicing instead of being mad at the jailer or the guy with the whip. They came out rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer with Jesus Christ. Where's the church at? Are you willing to take one for the team? That's what we say in our culture, right? Can God use you in that way? Can He take you through situations so that you will be a, a, an instrument of help or comfort to others? That's what He's saying here. He says, Now we're afflicted is for your consolation salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. See what he's saying? We're being an example to you. We're getting comforted by God when we struggle, and we're doing the same thing with you. Right? God's looking for people who won't quit. He's not looking for perfect people. He already looked for that. He found it. His name's Jesus. He took our place on the cross. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for who pominate people. That's a word I use a lot, which means consistent, endurance, patience, faithful. Hupomene, consistent. That's what God's looking for. And there's no substitute for that. You can't lay out on God's stuff, whatever that means to you, and then come and have somebody supernaturally pray you out of the, the hole. If you know better, him that knows to do good and don't do it, it's sin. So be consistent. You don't, you're not going to be perfect. There's none of us going to be perfect. You don't have a perfect preacher up here. But we can all be consistent. We can all stay coupled with the Lord. As Psalm 80, uh, 84 says, God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright. That word means coupled. If you, that's what you got to understand. In Psalm 84 there, he said the word upright, almost in our culture, we think of somebody who's perfect or next to perfect. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, those who stay coupled with me, I will not withhold any good thing. And I explained this to you, but I want to explain it again because this is so important. This is how God taught me. When I was working in the mines, I used to load trains. And so those cars coupled together. And some of those cars look like brand new money, like a brand new nickel. They're so beautiful, Dayton Power, Duke Power, whoever was sending their cars up the holler, as we say. But then all of a sudden, there'd be a car that was rusty, nasty. Everything about it was bad. Couldn't get the door shut on the bottom. Had to stick cardboard in there to hold the coal in. But it didn't matter how ugly it looked. Didn't matter how many holes it had in it. Didn't matter how old it was. As long as it stayed coupled, it went everywhere every other car went. You may feel like you've been beat up. You may feel like you've been to Vietnam. But God has put you in a track to be one of His witnesses. Are you a witness for the Lord? It's not just our mouths. That we should use our mouths. But it's our lives. People watching our lives. You know what the greatest compliment I ever got in my whole entire life, being a preacher, was not a sermon. In fact, I went to somebody's house and I asked them, I said, oh, you, I see, let's, let's tell you how old I am. They had a cassette of my sermon. Not an eight track, I'm not that old. I did have eight tracks growing up, but I didn't record anything. And I said, oh, I see you've been listening to the sermon. She said, oh, I taped over that. You're talking about humbling. I must have not had much to say that day. What's my saying is, two things I hate. I hate a dry, dead, going nowhere sermon. The second thing I hate is to be responsible for a dry, dead, going nowhere sermon. But God, he, he wants to comfort us in our time of need. But my greatest compliment I ever received is somebody who knows me well came to me several years ago and they said, man, you have trouble just like all of us. You have trouble just like we do. And I had trouble last year. They said, but the Lord always bails you out, don't he? I said, that's exactly right. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. Amen. Amen. You should give him praise for that. Now, I, I, before I close, I apologize to you if you've heard preaching that makes you think that being in the kingdom of God, there's no battles. That's not true. In fact, our suffering is used in a positive way. That's what Paul said. He said, uh, if we endure the sufferings which were for your consolation salvation, he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. You're leaving a legacy, good or bad. You're leaving a, you, you, all of us are leaving a legacy of what's important, right, to the generations following us. What's important to you? We're leaving that legacy, not, not all the time by what we say. In fact, if what we say and what we do are two different things, then we're leaving a conflicted legacy. But you're leaving a legacy of what's important to you. To your children, to your grandchildren, to your neighbors, to everybody around. You're leaving, I'm leaving a legacy too. So what is important? That's what Paul's saying. You're watching us get afflicted and hang in there. And that's giving you some strength to hang in there. I'll close with this. Let's flip these last five. Start with Matthew 9 and 2. Shoot them on the screen here. Matthew 9 and 2. We've got five verses here. There, then behold, they, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. This word, good cheer, is the Greek word tharseo. Cheer is tharseo. It don't mean to get happy. That's not, that's, we struggle sometimes bringing words over. It doesn't mean to get happy. There's a divine impartation going on there. Why? The Lord, when he said this, he was imparting strength and courage to his ears. So here comes the paralytic. He says, be of good tharseo. Jesus opening him up, putting strength and faith in him so that he can believe and step forward. Look at the next one. Five times this word's used in the New Testament. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good tharseo. Everybody say tharseo. It is, I do not be afraid. Right? He's walking on the water. They're in a storm. What did he do? He speaks to them, but he doesn't just speak casually and say, Ah, oh, guys, get happy. This storm will pass. There's nobody saying. He's opening them up, spiritually speaking, deposit, making a deposit. That's what you can do with others if you get comforted by the Lord. If you're trying to get your comfort from the stock market or from the newspaper, you're going to stay miserable. But if you're going to get your comfort from the Lord, then you're going to have some strength to impart that to others. Let's go to the next one. Third time in the New Testament. For all, they all saw him, were troubled. Immediately he talked with them, said, Be of good cheer as I. Same account as Matthew walking on the water. Go to the next one. These things I've spoken to you that you, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have, there's the Greek word Nike, right? We like that word Nike or Nikeo. I have Nike'd the world. I have Nike'd the world. He says, be of good Tharseo. I have Nike'd the world. The word means victory. He said, in other words, I've gained the victory over the world. He said, you be, I'm imparting this strength into you. Next, he said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Let's read this one together. You see it on the screen here? Here we go. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good tharseo, I have overcome the world. Is there another one or is that it? But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of, this is the Lord talking to Paul, be of good tharseo, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. He's given him strength for the journey. If you want to give other strength, your children, your spouse, your neighbors, friends, relatives, co-workers, you need to be getting it from the Lord. Stick with the truth because the facts will change. But the truth will stay the same. Let's stand to our feet. God is good. And all the time. Be of good tharseo. Understand that God has made a way for you to be comforted in His Spirit and quit looking 
to other things and sometimes even other people to do the job that only the Holy Spirit can do. Can you say amen? It'll change the dynamic of your whole life. Not only will it take the pressure, another thing she said about, she said it changed the whole dynamic of who her husband was. He didn't feel the weight of trying, having to be Jesus. We all have our parts. We all have our roles. God has designed us male and female. Yeah, I said it. That's what he did. He designed us male and female. That's God's way. Amen. But God wants you to get your comfort from him. He taught me that early, and I'm glad he did. Because it helps me weather storms. How would you like to be Jeremiah? Jeremiah preached for 40 years. We don't read about any convert. How would you like to have that ministry? All right? Guys calling you to come preach. How many people have come to the Lord in your services, brother? None. But was he faithful? Did he endure? He did. He got his comfort from the Lord. And God strengthened him. That's what God wants to do with you. Now we're here. You can comfort others. Remember what he said? Comfort others with what you got from the Lord. Not what you conjured up in your mind. What you got from the Lord. That's how we can help others. Let God comfort us. Then the same comfort, he said, we get give off to others. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this moment. I thank you, Lord, that you are the very present help in the time of trouble. I thank you for the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. There's so much for us, Lord, to consider as we step into this moment. I pray, Lord, that you will comfort these folks the way you've comforted me. I want to see that in their lives. Lord, you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You'd be with us to the end. There we draw comfort. You said you've went ahead of us to prepare a place for us and that you would come back and get us. There we draw comfort. You said that the grave is not the end. It's just the gateway into your presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There we draw comfort. To know that this life is not our home. We're just passing through, but we have eternity. There we draw comfort. To know that even if things around us collapse... We know that you're still on your throne and you've got everything in charge. There, we draw comfort. If you're here this morning and you're not comforted, we open this altar to you. If you're here, you're lost. Slip out of your seat. Come surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here and you need to move from God in any kind of way, your health, your wealth, whatever, this altar's open. If you're watching us around the world right now, you need to pray, seek the Lord in your living room, wherever you're at. Just find you a place to pray and let the Holy Spirit begin to do His work in your life. Surrender to Jesus as the priest, the prophet, and the king in your life. Let Him have full control. This altar is open. Will you come as we worship?